Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Welcome back, everyone. I hope your week last week was a good one. I didn't get as much work done as I had hoped, but I also hadn't realized how much I needed a week off either. From the podcast, anyway, I still had regular work. (laughs) I did take that time to do some writing and get the website back up and running. Thanks to Wix, I have a beautiful new interface. Feel free to go poke around at scareyoutosleep.com. There's a contact form that feeds directly to my inbox if you'd like to contact me. It also has my P.O. box if you'd like to go old-fashioned. Either way, I love hearing from you. And speaking of feedback, to those of you who said that you are hoping for less loud sounds, don't worry, I hear your cries. This week is filled with less intrusive sounds, so no screaming ghost ladies, I promise. I will try to stop flying off the handle with my sound effects, but every once in a while I come across something that is just too spooky and fun to ignore. But from now on, I will give you a warning if I ever come across a story that requires a loud sound. I'm also still taking kids' stories, so please send them in as soon as you can. Spots are filling up, and I will always be able to use the extras later on, but if you'd like your child's story featured sooner rather than probably not till six months or so from now when I get to another kids episode then please get it to me let's say by April 1st officially there's a deadline I keep telling people there's no deadline but let's give it a deadline so April 1st please have your kids stories to me I've also received a couple true stories that I've been sitting on that I would love to share with you but I don't have enough for a full episode so if you have any true scary stories please send them to scaryyoutosleep at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on the website. I take all sorts of scary stories to not just paranormal ones. We got one last year about someone almost being murdered by a scary dude in the forest. I'm also still taking fictional tales, so you can still send those too. Okay, sorry, that was two weeks worth of housekeeping stuff that I had to get through. (laughs) So now on to tonight's episode. All of our stories this week are by Jeremy Schaefer. He sent in three stories, and I happen to love all three, so I thought, why not give him his own episode? You know Jeremy from a few different episodes. I believe he made his debut on the show back in the first True Stories episode. His story really caught my eye because, holy shit, it is a doozy. Go back and listen if you haven't heard it. He also wrote the fictional story, To Whom It May Concern, featured in episode 12, and also, But You Said You Loved Me, from episode 22. I decided to go from shortest to longest this week, which also happened to go from sweetest to goriest. So to start us out this week, we have a weird but heartwarming story called Immortalizing the Moment. Can you hold him a bit straighter? Yeah, that's good. And got it. He's a natural. Your son was made for the camera. No joke, I'm being serious. He's so photogenic and... Ooh, the sun's coming out from behind the clouds now. Hang on. Let me get another lens. But I mean it. You should be very proud, trust me. I've done enough of these jobs. I know every parent thinks their kid is the most handsome or the most beautiful, and I'd never tell them otherwise, but some are simply hideous. 
it's not their fault, mind you. Sure, they all have a mass of tentacles or a row of weird spines, or there was this one with at least 15 eyes and seven mouths. Seriously, that girl was nothing but eyes and mouths. Droopy, too. Colorful, though, like a prism. No real form or shape, but that isn't uncommon. I had to use time-lapse to truly capture her. It produced a good effect, though. Her parents were certainly pleased. How long have I been doing this? Mm, well, about nine years now? Yeah, nine years. That sounds right. Oh, this was not at all what I thought I'd be doing with my life. I mean, how could I have, right? Anyone with any knowledge of this belongs to a very tight circle. Only the elite of the elite. Promising a union and offspring with an outer being is how anyone gets that wealthy and powerful after all. Well, except war criminals and real estate developers. Although with some of them, I have to wonder if they don't have a little outer being somewhere down the family tree. What did I originally want to do? I always wanted to be an artist. I was pretty good at drawing and painting, but looking back now, I don't think I could have ever gone very far. I was probably good enough to be just a schlub in an artist pool at some marketing company or something like that. I was never good when it came to doing people, though. Well, not at making them look like real people. I could do cartoons and the like, but not real life. I made an effort, though, which is what led me to photography. My mom suggested I could use some of her old-fashioned magazines to learn how to draw real people, and I just got so wrapped up in the pictures. Not the models, but the artistry in them. Sure, a lot of it's just special effects and tricks, old-school airbrushing, and later Photoshop. Regardless, the skill of the photographers was obvious. It took a year or two, but I put down the pencils and brushes and picked up a camera and never looked back. Oh no, this work came along much later. Given the fashion magazines were what got me into photography, that's what I wanted to do. I'd take pictures of my friends around school or the neighborhood and dream I was working a photo shoot in Paris or Milan. I managed to make a few contacts while I was in college and got a job with a major name in the fashion world. There were others who were far better than me, but I must have been doing something right because that's how I got my first opportunity to do a spread for a progeny. I'll be honest. When I sat eyes on my first, I didn't know what the deal was. I didn't know why it was all so hush-hush. He looked like a normal baby. For about a minute. Then he smiled, and his face just spread open like a flower. All those teeth, and that throat hole that seemed to fall into eternity. Who's ever ready for their first time seeing one? I mean... Maybe it's different for the parents since they, well, you know. For me, however, I just ran right out of the room. Almost lost my breakfast, too. Then I figured it was a joke. Had to be. But I was assured it was no joke. There were some serious people there. And then I talked to the parents. Well, 
the mother and her husband. That's how it usually goes in these cases. Not always, but usually. Anyway, they weren't offended by my reaction. They understood and insisted. There was no way they could have prepared me. I suppose that was true enough. Then they told me why they chose me. They knew I needed the money. I was talented, but not that talented. I didn't need to be for their purposes. It mattered that I was competent, certainly, but it mattered more that money could ensure my silence. I had student loans. My sister's family never recovered financially after her husband was laid off just before the recession. My mom lost her job right when my dad got sick and their bills were piling up. They were about to lose the house I grew up in. They showed me how much I'd be paid. Just for that one job. Obviously. You know what kind of money we're talking about here. It's crude to talk about such things in polite company, but that doesn't make it any less of a thing. And from what I know about your background, I think you know, while it doesn't mean much in the world of the elite, to everyone else it can make all the difference. And there was a promise for a lot more of this kind of work and pay in the future. So I pulled myself together, put on a professional face, and got to work. An hour or so later, I called the fashion photographer to let them know I was resigning. They weren't happy about my decision. They had hoped I wouldn't have any part in this. But they've never judged me about my role in this great undertaking. Who are they? Oh, I can't say. They'd hate for anyone to know they're connected to this in some way, even if indirectly. We may not see eye to eye about this work, but I respect them too much to betray their trust. That said, I've come to believe this is important work. This is a phenomenal event, and it's vital that there be some documentation of the melding between humans and outer beings. Sure, one day the world will know, but until then, Someone should make sure that when the time comes that there's a record of the history behind how such a fateful moment came about. Pictures won't tell the entire story, but they'll help. Ah, this lens is precisely what I need. Here we go. Now, how about we get a few with the mother? Maybe hold your arm over your chest, hand resting on your shoulder with him clinging. Yes, just like that. Seriously, your son is a natural. You are too, ma'am. I bet he gets it from you. Welcome back. Our next story tonight is called A Parent's Job is Never Finished. Kathy gave her son's shoelaces a firm tug. Hopefully they'd stay good and tied this time. Letting out a tired but satisfied sigh as she stood back up, she silently wished Joey would learn to tie his own shoes. It had been over a month since she started teaching him, and her older children hadn't had the same trouble getting the hang of the simple task when they were the same age. Brent, her husband, was of course no help, but he wasn't with the others either. She wondered if she was just rusty, thanks to the greater age difference between Joey and his siblings. 
who were now 15 and 17. Then again, she had to admit she hadn't really been steadfast in her role as a mother the past few weeks. Sure, there was a good reason for that, but her duty to her children should always come first. Go play, but try to keep it down. It's a hard time for John and Sandra, and we don't want to cause them any more grief, she told Joey, making sure to keep a loving smile on her lips and in her eyes as she spoke so the warning wouldn't come off too harsh. He was too young to understand the gravity of the occasion, but he could appreciate being polite to others while in the house. Just in case, Kathy added a prodding. Do we? She maintained her smile, but let her tone drop just a hair. Getting the hint, Joey cheerfully nodded before toddling off. She smiled a bit more when she heard him quietly tell the other little kids to be quieter. Turning back to her conversation with Karen and Marcia, Kathy caught the sight of John and Sandra in the other room as they tried talking to some of the others from the neighborhood. It hurt to see the couple look so much like strangers in their own home, among their friends and acquaintances. Sandra couldn't even look people in the eye, and John seemed on the verge of breaking down any moment. The more people tried to comfort them, it seemed, the more their composure waned. Their son, Todd, went missing several weeks before. The last they saw of him was as he left for school. He never arrived, however, and police found his car abandoned on the side of the highway just outside of town later that afternoon. Search parties were quickly organized, with the whole neighborhood lending a hand. Kathy, of course, did her part in the search. Her oldest son, Robbie, had known Todd since kindergarten. They hadn't been close friends, but were in each other's social circles enough that Robbie was clearly fearful for the other boy's safety. Naturally, for her child's sake, Kathy trekked through the woods with everyone else for several chilly days, getting hung up on barbs and tripping so much she nearly twisted an ankle. I wonder if the body was as bad as they said, Karen muttered quietly between herself and her friends. I mean, I get that Todd had been left in the water, but was it so bad that they had to do a closed casket? After a few weeks, people began losing hope of finding Todd. John and Sandra, along with a few others, kept looking through the woods, but the search parties had been officially called off. Then, purely by accident, a man out for a day of fishing came across the boy's body along the banks of the river, running along the edge of the town. Kathy raised an eyebrow at the boorishness of the question, but Marcia gave it full consideration. He wasn't left in the water, she corrected. She was currently seeing someone in the police department, so she knew more of the details. People talked in such a small community. Not for long, anyway. They think whoever killed him left his body in that old farmhouse past the highway. Ever since they expanded the lanes last year, the area gets flooded if it rains hard enough, and they think what we got last week was enough to drag Todd back out to the river. Karen's face screwed up into one of pure horror. Oh my god, the farmhouse, she hissed. Wasn't that near the new jogging path you wanted us to try, Kathy? 
The one you got us to meet you for our morning run that one time? I, I think it was, she distractedly answered. She was more interested in why her daughter Lauren made a sharp cry from outside just then. Relaxing some, Kathy realized the young girl was just laughing, presumably due to some antic of Steve's. Steve was Karen's son, and more recently, Lauren's boyfriend. Kathy wasn't sure if Lauren was ready for such a relationship, but Karen was thrilled when the two kids went on their first date a couple months ago. Seeing how Steve's hands were lingering at Lauren's hips, Kathy certainly wasn't sharing Karen's enthusiasm about it all. It was about the same day Todd went missing, too. Marcia supplied with some fright at the awareness that she could have been in closer proximity to a murderer than she previously realized. Well, I'm glad it was just the one time then, Karen continued, dramatically shaking her head. Her voice seemed like she might be on the verge of a fear-induced heart attack. I don't think I could keep up our jogs if I was going to be out where some psycho killed a kid. Kathy's attention was back on Karen and Marcia fully now. There was an impulse to comment how the only thing Karen ever ran on their morning jogs was her mouth. But she kept the comment to herself. It just wasn't a good path, Kathy simply, if a bit hastily, replied before glancing back out at her daughter. She really didn't like where Steve's hands were. At least Lauren was moving to push them away. Well, I just feel so awful for Sandra. Karen picked up a new thread. Everyone knows how hard John is taking it, which is why she's having to put on a strong face for him. I know, Marcia agreed. I managed to get her to go to the salon with me the other day, but we never made it. She just broke down and started bawling the second we turned the corner. The three women turned to send a sympathetic look to Sandra. She was currently holding her husband up as he cried on her shoulder, leaving her unaware of those condolences. They, however, noticed the mixture of tears, snot, and saliva hanging in a long string from John's face and running down Sandra's back. Karen muttered a snide remark about it before Marcia returned to her gossip. She kept going on and on about how much talent Todd had and it was so much wasted potential. He had a football scholarship to state, didn't he? Karen prodded. I never paid much attention at any of the games, but that was all John ever talked about. As if on cue, they could hear John in the other room blubbering to someone about the major blow to the world of sports with the death of his son. Ignoring that, Marcia wavered her head in response. Yeah, Todd was good at football and other sports, but Sandra told me about his music. I never knew about him, and John didn't particularly care for that, but Sandra loved that her son was so talented musically. John didn't know about it, but Todd was in a band. Sandra thought they had real potential. Kathy knew about Todd's band. She knew a bit more than that, in fact. Two months earlier, Kathy caught Robbie sneaking into the house late one night. More, he had been drinking. She could tell. Even if he hadn't been stumbling a little, she could smell it on his breath. Brent didn't see what the big deal was. 
said all kids do it. He even laughed about it and gave Robbie an approving clap to the shoulder before going back to bed. That wasn't good enough for Kathy. It took nearly an hour, but she got it out of him. About where he had been, what he had been doing, who gave him the alcohol. Todd's band was playing at another kid's house that night, which Robbie had snuck out to see. He and Todd hung out after they finished playing, drinking a few beers while doing so. Robbie even admitted that there were other things going on at the party, like drugs and sex. He might have been good at football and music. It didn't matter. Kathy knew Todd was a bad influence on Robbie. She didn't want her son hanging around with that sort of element. She was thinking of his future, after all, even if he wasn't. Todd should have stuck with football, Kathy suddenly snapped. Worried someone might have heard. Worried John and Sandra might have heard. She shot a quick glance about. Thankfully, only Karen and Marcia heard her comment, and both were staring at their friend with stunned expressions. Emotionally, Kathy collected herself. <clears throat> I mean... That's probably what ended up getting the poor boy killed, right? You know how musicians and the like are, hopped up on dope and booze and God only knows what else all the time. One of those people in this band might have gone crazy and murdered Todd for some reason us normal people would never understand. She tried to keep her tone casually matter-of-fact. Her smile, banally compassionate. The stares Karen and Marcia gave her diminished in suspicion and slowly blossomed into concurrence. That's true, Karen finally agreed. Those band people are not in their right mind. I've seen those movies about them. So awful that a good kid like Todd could get tracked down into something like that. I guess that's what Sandra was so broken up about. Marcia supposed as the possibilities flooded her imagination. You heard about that sort of thing all the time, after all. Biting the heads off animals, worshipping the devil, and throwing televisions off balconies. Those rock bands are dangerous, Karen firmly concluded. Marcia nodded her head as nearby, a sharp but tiny voice uttered, Damn it! The three turned and saw Michael standing over a dropped piece of cake. He looked up from the mess at his mother, saying, Mommy, I dropped my goddamn cake. Judging by the grin across his chubby face, as well as the chuckle he let out, he seemed proud of his expansive vocabulary. Michael was the same age as Joey. The two boys had playdates often, Though they usually played in proximity to one another more than together, she would never say as much, but Kathy was frankly happy for that. Marcia had the boy out of wedlock, and worse, she wasn't exactly certain who the father was since he was conceived the period after her divorce when she went through a bit of a wild streak and dated several different men. Kathy wasn't one to judge. 
At least Marcia settled down when she found out she was pregnant, but not knowing any of the men Marcia dated or which could be Michael's father left her unsettled about her son playing with the boy. Still, the boys had their moments. Like right now, as Kathy recognized the expression on Joey's face that indicated he was learning. Her fingers twitched at the thought of those words, or worse, pouring out from her little angel's mouth. Marcia stepped over with a paper towel to clean the mess as she ushered the children outside, promising her kid that she'd get him another piece of cake in a little bit. Sorry about that, she sighed as she returned to them. I've tried to get my boyfriend not to use language like that around Michael, but no luck so far. Karen, ever one to have the wrong takeaway from the situation, started in on how she wished she could get her kids to eat healthy foods, but all Kathy could think about was what other colorful words Joey was learning from Michael right this very minute. Outside, she could see Lauren and Steve once more. Could see as the boy's hand still lingered on her daughter's hips, despite the girl's attempts to push it away. Anger spiked inside her when she assumed the boy was ignoring her daughter's wishes. But then she realized that Lauren's hands weren't trying to shove his from her, but keeping them in place. Her own hands trembled, her fingers flexing as she contemplated how the boy was corrupting her daughter, making her think that she wanted to... No, Kathy couldn't even think of that. In the other room, she saw Robbie moping with a few other kids his age, but she also noticed they were close to the table where bottles of whiskey and vodka and wine had been left out for the guests, mourners, and well-wishers. Kathy eyed as her oldest glanced furtively at the bottles, bead of cold sweat rolled down her back then. So many dangers to keep her children safe from. Cut one from the world, only to have two more take its place. It was daunting, but a parent's job is never finished, Kathy told herself. Never. And our last story of the night, folks, is a bit, hmm, squishier. So enjoy Survivor's Guilt. The ragged breath rattled through his lungs before the long, slow push out into the world from his mouth. Every joint and muscle in his body ached so fiercely, but he had never felt so euphoric. A small laugh escaped him as he looked down at the bloody mess at his feet. It was just another body, one more in a long line of bodies 
and meant nothing to him really. What was so important to him was the axe, wedged at an odd angle in the side of the person's neck, the handle pointing up at the awkward tilt. It had been with him for so long, he couldn't remember a time he didn't have it. Its weight, its sturdiness, the way it bit his hands so easily. He loved to swing it around, but not nearly as much as he loved when it bit into someone's flesh. Although he was exhausted, he hunched over to wretch the axe from the grisly corpse with a laziness born more from his lack of care or hurry. A giggle seeped out at the moist squelch as he freed the axe from the bone and meat of his latest victim, increasing in pitch at the squirt of arterial spray that followed the blade out. With some deliberation, he leaned in closer to look into the lifeless eyes of his victim. What he expected to find, he couldn't say. But whatever it was, he was sure he didn't find it. As he stood, he slowly took in the other bodies, strewn about the house. Six in total. Not his record but not a bad night. They put up one hell of a fight. The last one did anyway. It was the hardest anyone had in a long while. But in the end, it didn't save them. It never did. They couldn't stop him. After all these years and all the bodies, he had never been stopped. Not caught, not stopped. By now he doubted he could. And with that confidence, he casually stepped out through the front door of the house to take in the neighborhood. It was early morning and people were just beginning to stir. Unaware of the deadly menace in their midst, just to make sure their morning was eventful. He dragged one of the corpses out to the lawn and propped it up so the tired commuters and neighbors would be sure to see his handiwork. Shelley was jostled from sleep. She didn't need to open her eyes to know that they were home, even if she wasn't extremely familiar with the bump at the end of the driveway. Her dad's usual comment about how he needed to get that fixed, and her mom's usual retort that he's been saying that for 16 years, would have told her as much. Still, as tired as she was, she forced them open anyway because she had never been so happy to be home. They were returning from a week-long family reunion at a cabin in the mountains, which... For Shelley had mostly consisted of being told by one aunt that she was too fat, and by another she was too skinny every time she turned around. It also meant being told to ignore the inappropriate comments one of her uncles would start making after he had his first old-fashioned. 
There was also the cousin who just found out girls existed and tried several times to peek in on Shelly when she was changing her clothes or taking a shower. Even if there was none of that, there was the simple stress of 30 people being crammed into a dwelling meant to accommodate half that number. Stretching the horrible week from her memory and the sleep from her body, Shelly roused her little sister awake as the car stopped before the garage door. Her dad turned to look at them and cheered, All right, kiddos, home sweet home. Dad, if I help you unpack the car, can I park it in the garage? Shelly asked as she hopped out from the back seat. She had turned 16 recently, but her parents weren't sure she was ready to take the test for her license yet, so she took every opportunity that presented itself to prove that she was. I don't know, he started as he studied the suitcases and other gear secured to the roof of the car. His voice was weary from the long drive. I think I might just wait until morning, take all this stuff down. It'll keep overnight. Her mom couldn't contain the drained laugh. (laughs) You're going to wake up extra early so you can take all this stuff down from off the car and bring it in the house and make it to work on time. I'll believe that when I see it, she said with a smile. Actually, no, I won't because I'm sleeping in late tomorrow morning. All right, all right, her dad conceded as he handed the house keys over to Shelly's mom. To Shelly, with a slight, pleading look in his eyes, he appended, I'm starving. Let's get this stuff in the house, and we'll talk about you parking the car after we eat. It wasn't the answer she was looking for, but neither was it the answer she dreaded. As her mom and sister went into the house, Shelly and her dad unloaded the car. With the last bit inside, her mom announced she had ordered a pizza. The mere mention of food made Shelly's belly rumble loudly, which her sister couldn't keep from commenting on. Her dad gave her a grin and said, Can't let you park the car on an empty stomach, kiddo. He put the car keys down on the table by the door and patted them, his way of giving her permission to put the car in the garage after they ate. He paused when his cell phone rang. He frowned when he looked at the caller screen before answering it. Yeah? What's up, my man? His voice was casual and friendly, but his eyes narrowed. What do you mean they're pushing up the timetables? His chin worked side to side in growing frustration. I'd have to do those numbers tonight to have them ready for you. A bit more working of the chin before it set to one side in annoyance. Fine, fine. Give me 30 to get into the office. Yeah, I'll see you when I get there. With that, he ended the call and apologetically looked at Shelly. Sorry, kiddo, but I have to go into the office and do some work. Tell you what, though, we'll go on a drive through the neighborhood this weekend. Shelly nodded her head as her mom came in. Can't you wait for the pizza to get here so you can eat? I'll grab something on the way in, he told her as he gathered his laptop case from the closet and scooped up the car keys. He gave her a quick peck of a kiss goodbye. Save me a couple slices, though. They'll make a great breakfast, he requested before slipping through the door. Half an hour later, Shelly and her sister were setting out plates when the doorbell rang. There was a brief exchange at the door between the delivery guy and Shelly's mom as she paid for the food. The boxes were barely on the table before the two famished girls tore into their dinner. Around her fifth slice, Shelly felt the impending food coma, but forced herself to finish the piece. Leaning back in her seat, she noticed something odd outside. 
Why is the pizza guy still parked in the driveway? Her mom and sister both followed her gaze through the window and could just make out headlights over the hedges running down the side of the steep driveway. I think your dad's still out there too, her mom wondered. Shelley looked closer and could see a glinting reflection off the rear of the family car. I'll go make sure everything's okay. I want to come too, Shelley's sister said as she jumped up from her chair. No, if you're finished eating, you need to go get ready for bed, their mother exclaimed. To Shelley, she added, make sure she does, please. With that, she disappeared through the front door. Shelley gathered the plates, leaving them in the sink after dropping the uneaten crusts in the trash. She let her sister gulp down the last of her milk before escorting her upstairs to brush her teeth. Exhaustion set in. Shelley changed into her own pajamas before going back downstairs to rinse the dishes down and load them into the dishwasher. She then consolidated the remaining pizza into one box to store in the oven and trash the empty ones. When she wiped the table down, it hit her that her mother should have come back in by now. Are you ready for bed? She called up to her sister. There was a pause preceding the answer. Not yet. Have you even brushed your teeth yet? Shelley aggravatedly demanded. The reply was an annoyed. I'm getting to it. Well, hurry up. Shelley ordered before stepping outside to see what was going on with her mom, dad, and the delivery guy. She thought about putting shoes on, or at least some socks, but she figured it was more effort than it was worth. After all, it was just a short walk down the driveway, and everything was still damp from the rain earlier in the day. Reaching the end of the sidewalk, she found her dad's car right where he left it when they arrived home, though now the hood was propped open. Behind it, headlights burning bright and engine running, was the delivery guy's rusted-out junker. Strolling around to the front of the family car, she anticipated finding them all huddled there looking for the solution to some mechanical problem. Only, no one was there. She started to look around for them when something on the ground caught her eye. A thick, dark liquid was running out from behind the car, down the driveway, and pooling up just before the garage door. Thinking it was an oil leak, Shelley moved to crouch down and look when she heard a scraping sound from the other side of the car. Leaping to her feet, she thought she'd find one of her parents or the pizza guy, but no one was there. She rushed back around the car, only to stop dead in her tracks and jump when her dad's cell phone sounded off. Taking a second to control her breathing and slow her pounding heart rate, she found the device lying next to the hood prop. Answering it, she didn't even get a chance to speak before the person on the other end ran their mouth. Jesus, man, where the hell are you? I know timing's shitty, but we gotta get this done tonight or we lose the contract. Hey, it's me, Shelly. Shelly swiftly explained before the man got too far into his rant. Oh, has your dad even left yet? Put him on the phone. He was supposed to have left like an hour ago, but the car is still here and... Her words were cut off, replaced by a frightful yelp thanks to the slamming of the delivery guy's car door behind her. Swinging around, she noticed the delivery guy was now sitting in his car. She could only see a shape over the bright lights from his car, but... He was there, unmoving, and she could feel staring at her. 
Her dad's co-worker was yelling over the phone, wanting to know why she had shrieked like that. Deliberately, Shelly raised the phone back to her ear, only for the phone to cut off with a sad bleeping noise before the first word left her mouth. She checked and saw the battery was dead. With only a dead phone on her and her parents nowhere in sight, Shelly was out here all alone with a strange man who, as far as she could tell, was gawking at her. Wrapping herself with her arms to ward off the uncomfortable tinge slowly chilling her blood, Shelly guardedly stepped toward the strange car. Excuse me, but have you seen my parents? There was no answer, but she could feel his eyes on her as she approached the driver's side window. Excuse me, sir, Shelly anxiously began to repeat as she reached the driver's door. In the gloomy illumination provided by the rebounding headlights, the guy looked sick and pale. Her nose crinkled when she detected the odd smell emanating from the man. Her hand wavered near the open window, uncertain if she should touch him with some finality she quickly gave a single tap to his shoulder and she fearfully asked are you okay in response the delivery guy's head tumbled from the rest of his body over the ensuing scream Shelly could hear it thump off the door and bash down onto the pavement every knock and dull clunk as it rolled down the driveway was like a clash of thunder in Shelly's ears and left a trail of bloody smears in its wake. It ended with a sad bump against the garage door before coming to a rest on its side. The delivery guy's empty glare locked onto Shelly as she screamed, her throat ragged. She didn't remember making the choice to move operated purely on an instinct to run, but she was stomping up the sidewalk toward the front door now. In her terrified mind, she formulated a plan of action that consisted solely of call the police. As simplistic and uncomplicated as that idea was, it monopolized her awareness until her feet stumbled over something in her way, sending her face first into the footpath. Catching her breath and ignoring the searing pain from the scrapes and cuts, surely running down her face now. Shelly moved to push herself up when she felt something damp and warm soaking her bare foot. Rolling around to see what she tripped over. Another scream escaped her when she found her dad's body sprawled across the sidewalk. He had been hacked apart and dismembered. She had been toppled by his corpse and now her foot was stuck in his torso, his entrails and blood squeezing between her toes as she struggled to free herself from the gruesome hold. Her dad's head lolled and jerked and twisted to face her. Just above his eyes, his cranium had been cleaved so severely, the upper part was barely hanging onto the bottom half. The top of his head flopped open enclosed with her thrashing about to yank her foot free. With a squelching sound, 
Shelley tumbled over backward as her foot finally cleared the gory remnants of her dad. The horror of it all was pushed aside by the driving need to get back inside, to get where it was safe, and to get where she could call for help. Clambering up and nearly falling back over again, Shelley made it to the stoop and scuttled her way through the door on her hands and knees. A rumbling noise closing in on her made Shelley nearly choke on her own sobs and heaving breaths. Bracing herself for the worst, she almost slammed her fist into her little sister, who was running down the stairs to see what the commotion was all about. She slipped to a halt a few steps from the bottom when she saw Shelley's frantic and messy state. What's going on? The younger girl shrilly demanded, tears welling up in her eyes and fear in her throat. Where's mom and dad? Back upstairs, Shelly yelled in response. Where's mom and dad? Her sister bawled once more. The urgency of the matter killed any tact Shelly might have taken. Dad's dead. Somebody killed him, chopped him into pieces. Now get back upstairs and hide. That motivated her sister to do as she was told. Her breathing was steadier now, and Shelley went over her meager plan again. She quickly locked the door behind her and tried to remember where she put her phone. It was up in her bedroom on the charger. However, she remembered her mom had left hers in the kitchen, which was closer. Pushing off the wall to give herself extra speed, if only in her mind, she made a dash for the kitchen. Rounding the corner, she found not only her mom's phone, but her mom as well. She was sitting at the table, her back turned to Shelley and partially concealed by the counter. On the edge of the table, right next to her mother's unmoving hand, Shelley could just see the little flat rectangle, the device that she could use to call someone for help. The very thing that might save her life. But Shelley could also hear the drip, drip, drip noise that may as well have been cymbals clanging in her ears and the dark pool streaming out on the floor from around the counter base. All she had to do to get to the phone was be brave and face the assuredly horrible state her mom had been left in for Shelley to find. Swallowing her fear and distress, she crept up to the table slowly, keeping her eyes focused on the phone and nothing else. Shelley resisted looking as she worked her way around the end of the counter, gritting her teeth to stay concentrated on the phone. Her eyes darted to the side anyway. She tried not to see the series of terrible gashes that had been gouged into her mom's torso, but she couldn't help herself. Her fingers brushed her target, started to fold it into their grasp when the killer rushed in from the other room. The axe chopped down at Shelley's head, but she clumsily fell out of its path, letting it cut into the table. Between her dodging and the force of the axe hitting the table, the phone clattered to the floor. Shelley started to reach for it, still believing it would save her and her sister, but it crunched under the killer's shoes as he pulled the axe free 
and up for another attack. With a second swing, Shelley could feel the axe blade whip close to her, almost taking her about the neck and shoulder. Instead, it smashed into the cabinet. (laughs) Knowing she had to get to her room, Shelley turned and ran from the kitchen. The furor the killer made as he yanked the axe free again caused her legs to pump even faster. She was a few steps away from the stairs when a shape darkened her vision on one side. With something that was half dodge and half spill, Shelley dropped under the swinging axe. With the momentum of his attack, the killer slammed into the wall just in front of her. Pictures that had been hanging there shattered to the floor, with one crashing down onto his face. The grip on the axe was already loose from his clumsy attack. The surprise from the framed photo falling over onto him pushed it from the killer's hands. It dropped to the floor, clattering to a stop at Shelley's feet. It had been so fearsome before, yet now she couldn't help but think of it as the thing that would save her life. A grunt from the killer snapped her back to the danger she was in. The killer lurched forward, lunging for the axe, but Shelley's fingers wrapped around its handle at the same time as his. A stray thought crossed her mind. How large and unstoppable the killer had seemed. Yet he was so scrawny as the two fought for the weapon. Shelley was hardly athletic herself, but it no longer felt a given the killer could take the axe from her anymore. She had a chance, and that kept her fighting. With all the strength she could muster, she kicked up and connected with his crotch. A small shriek left him as he stumbled away from her. Not wanting to give him a chance to recover with her eyes shut tightly, Shelley blindly lashed out with the axe. She felt it connect, heard the killer drop to the floor with a thud, and let the axe fall from her hands. Her legs were weak. The wall she had fallen against, the only reason she remained standing, After a long moment of silence, of stillness, Shelley opened her eyes. She dreaded the possibility that the killer was fine, had been faking it all along and was just waiting for her to see her death coming. But he wasn't standing before her, and she glanced down with trepidation. There she found the killer. The axe's blade was buried deep in his face, its handle sticking up toward her in a way that might have been comical had the situation been different. The sight confused her. She hadn't meant to hit him with the blade. She thought that she had hit him with the butt of the handle. That's what she had meant to do. But in the moment, well... Gathering her strength, she prodded him a few times to make sure he was truly dead. Other than where she prodded at him, he never moved. Sinking back against the wall, a rough inhalation was sucked into her lungs. A mixture of terror and exhilaration washed over her. She was fretful about having taken a life, but she was also glad to be alive. From upstairs, she heard a door creak open. The silence was broken by her sister's voice. 
Shelly? The girl called out. Is it safe? A silent laugh forced itself free. They were safe. It took her a moment to control her breathing, but Shelly finally took a breath so she could be sure to answer her sister with all the relief and assurance that she could in that moment. The ragged breath rattled through her lungs before the long, slow push out into the world from her mouth. Every joint and muscle in her body ached so fiercely, but she had never felt so euphoric. A small laugh escaped her as she looked down at the bloody mess at her feet. It was just another body, one more in a long line of bodies, and meant nothing to her really. What was so important to her was the axe wedged at an odd angle in the person's face, the handle pointing up at an awkward tilt. It had been with her for so long. She couldn't remember a time she didn't have the axe. Its weight, its sturdiness, the way it fit her hands so easily. She loved to swing it around, but not nearly as much as she loved when it bit into someone's flesh. Although she was exhausted, she hunched over to retch the axe from the grisly corpse with a laziness born more from her lack of care or hurry. A giggle seeped out at the moist squelch as she freed the axe from the bone and meat of her latest victim. With some deliberation, she leaned in closer to look into the lifeless eyes of her victim. What she expected to find, she couldn't say. And whatever it was, she was sure she didn't find it. As she stood, she slowly counted the other kills she racked up here. Four in total. Not her record, but not a bad night. She couldn't say any of them put up much of a fight, though. The last one did, maybe. No, that one was disappointing. Not that a fight could save them. It never would. They couldn't stop her. After all these years and all the bodies, she had never been stopped. Not caught. Not stopped. By now, she doubted she could. The girl called out from upstairs again. She could hear the worry, the growing fear in her voice. With a sure grip on the axe, with an easy kill right there. She figured it'd be a shame not to bump the score up to five.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Do you like these crackly candle sounds? I thought I'd give you something a little gentler to relax to this week as we sign out. I know it's a podcast rule or whatever to have the same music every week, but I like to change it up. What are your favorite sounds to relax to? Waves, rain, soft music? Message me through the website and let me know. I'll take requests for the outro every week. This week's Patreon supporters and those who I owe so much gratitude and love are Elizabeth Jackman, Emily McDonald, Lauren Faluna, Kira George, and Sin. I wish you all so much happiness and warmth. If I could give you a big hug and you would be okay with me hugging you, I would. Follow me on all the social media stuff, Twitter and Instagram, at ScareYouToSleep. If you like Instagram stories of stuff that I bake, then you can follow my personal account, at Shelby B. Scott. You can join the Facebook page, facebook.com slash groups slash ScareYouToSleep. Please answer the questions. I haven't had to say it in a while, but just a reminder, my mod squad and I just like to know if you're a Bitcoin shilling sex bot or not. And I think that's all for now. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>